Welcome to Main Street Politics. My name is Daniel Bonham. Another episode, I can just sense the excitement out there, and you guys don't even know who the guest is yet, but I can just feel it, that you, the listeners, are on the edge of your seats. And this is, I, I got to do a little background here. This is someone that I went to high school with. Now, granted, we're a couple years apart, but we were both uh, Tigered High grads, me, 95, this uh, honorable representative that's joining us today, 97, a big peanut butter lover. If you follow his YouTube shows, you have seen how he loves to eat a peanut butter sandwich. And without further ado, Rep. Dan Rayfield is our guest today. Well, thank you for having me. This is fun. We're gonna uh, I've insert. never done a podcast, by the way. Okay. So this We're, is new to me. We, we are going to work on this. I'm going to challenge my producer slash chief of, chief of staff to insert applause. Oh, do you really do that? No, we've never done it, but I'm going to challenge him to do it. Because I was thinking about it. I was like, we need like the wacky sounds, the duck and all the, yeah, from like radio. Okay. So. I like this. I had not seen your love for peanut butter. And I have one real question because you, like me, are an Adam's peanut butter guy. But you'll see, as I have here in my hand, I'm a creamy no-stir guy. Which concerns me. I have come to the conclusion that when discussing peanut butter preference, it's the same as discussing religion or politics in your workplace. So pretty heated. Oh yeah, because because you get people are really attached to like Jif or Skippy or Peter Pan because they all taste the same to me. And then there's some people <laughs> diehards like myself and yourself who prefer the Adams. Would the, you know the no stir? It just tastes funky. Really? And you, you know, and I'm looking over the table, everyone, and you may not notice, but, um, you know, Representative Bottom has, you know, what I would say, very sturdy forearms. It's not like he couldn't stir <laughs> a no-stir, you know, I just, it says something about you, right? We'll arm wrestle before we leave. <laughs> this will be fun. Um, but you, I, I saw in your video, you make a peanut butter sandwich every day. You forego the jelly most of the time. That's right. But your your Adams was the, you got to mix the oil in every time because it does separate if you don't use it enough. All right, radio listeners, I'm going to give you a couple of pro tips here okay. if you're going to do it. So, and, and I have people as generally like families like, oh, I never thought about doing that. I take my Adams jar. You'll see at the top, you're going to have some oil. I shake it first. And then I, what I, and so you shake it like almost like those paint can machines that shake the paint, right? Yeah. So you shake it, that actually starts to get some of it mixed up and it makes it so much easier because the horrible thing is when you come in there, it's like spilling over the sides, mm -hmm. you got this mess. Yeah. Um, that is my, that is my preferred method for stirring it up. But yeah, it is, uh, at least once a week we buy the really big Adam's peanut butter. Uh, so this must yeah. be a family love. No. Um, you I go through like, that much peanut butter by yourself? Yes. Um, oh, my goodness. It's almost – so I will eat a, um, a meal. Uh, my wife knows why I get up and go to the kitchen because I open the refrigerator and I just get a spoonful of peanut butter. That's mm -hmm. how I end my meals normally. Mm -hmm. um, at night, like it's just, oh, how about some peanut butter? And it's also very utilitarian. Let's yeah. be realistic about a peanut butter sandwich. I got to get ready in the morning. I need to do something quick. I'm not going to break out the lettuce, tomatoes, the onions, the ham, or whatever yeah. you know, you're doing. It's just simple Put some peanut butter on it, two pieces of bread, and you're out the door. I did like, you know, you even specified the overflow. It was a, it was a very detailed video that I watched. I enjoyed every moment of it. I felt like I was there in the kitchen with you. I wanted a peanut butter sandwich by the time you were done. Yeah, I appreciate it. I do. Number one, I appreciate that someone is watching my YouTube video. 
so in the room, you know, we've got my chief of staff that's running the soundboard, and then we got your staff, Tony, here. And in one of the videos, you were talking about how Democrats win. You were out, uh, that's right, walking the streets. I think you were helping Rep Meek that day. Rep Nose made a cameo, but in the very beginning of that episode, you were kind of given a little bit of grief because you didn't open the episode the way you normally do. Oh, gosh. I feel like when I introduced you, you should have gone into your intro. Can you do it for the listeners? Absolutely. So it has become a thing where I say, my name is Dan Rayfield, state representative of Corvallis, Philomath, and Oregon State University. Is that right, Tony? Is that how I always do it? Normally, uh, there's a little more pep. Yeah. Oh, all right. So do, do I need to try this do it One more time, all if right, you would. Right. Hey, everybody. It's Dan Rayfield, your state representative from Corvallis, Philomath, and Oregon State University. So I get made fun of because when we go testify, you know, normally we introduce ourselves and you have to state your name for the record. Now, I argue that the western half of Wasco County, Jefferson, Wheeler, and northern Deschutes County is the most beautiful district in the entire state. I've got the Sisters Mountain. I've got Mount Jefferson. I've got the Deschutes River Valley. I've got the Painted Hills, as you see on my wall here. And then I've got the Columbia River Gorge. It is a tough district to compete with. And uh, there's a few senators that have taken exception. Uh, They have bigger districts that's kind of, you know, Philosophically, it's hard to challenge that notion, but when you're elected to office, I don't, th- I don't think you can ever agree to that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but but I'll acknowledge that you may or may not have a point. So so let's go back. Let's go way back because we we do this show, and one of the fun things we're trying to do with the show is to showcase the fact that we're all people, mm-hmm. everyday people. And I loved your story. We were sitting eating lunch one day, and you told me the story of your first ever endeavor. Running for office. Oh, yeah. Can you share that with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that would have been, uh, when you say, okay, I, I, I know. <laughs> so the, this Go really, way back. Go yeah, back. This story really goes back to, I mean, someone asked me one day, I was like, why the heck do you did you run for office? And there's always that, like on the, what I would say, on the doorstep, you don't have time. People don't want to listen to you, right? So you got to get, spit it out in 15 seconds or less. Uh, but, I, you know, in my car, you're driving a lot. I started thinking, I was like, why the heck did I run for office? And what it... And I started comparing my life, and what I realized is that in third grade, I had chosen to run for fire marshal of my school at the time, of my third grade class, not even the school. Yeah. And I was running against this other woman at the time, or girl, I guess, in third grade. Um, and, you know, and, and I was, it was like, what, what, you know, caused me to run for that office? And then it, I broke it down that it had to be something other than, you know, like the, a platform, right? Because I wasn't running to keep, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to really keep the school safe. You have to elect me because Susie's going to let us all burn to the ground, right? Like, <laughs> there was no agenda or platform here, right? And, it, and, it, and that's when I came, I was like, okay, there's a, there's this family in influence into folks, and at least for myself, I can't speak for other folks, but there was a family influence of action, getting involved uh, with whatever it is that I think is what really drove my spirit, right, to like actually want to participate in politics. Although I would say, I mean, other people have, you know, the same type of influence, but to do it from an advocacy standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, I just chose a different place to be. Uh, so pretty, yeah. So the other thing that you shared with me at lunch was you looked back at that experience and realized that you didn't necessarily have a better plan. Yeah. And you started talking about that too. Like if you're going to run for office and you're going to represent people, you need to actually have a plan Yeah, as to how you're going to keep the children safe. (laughs) 
Right? I mean, it's like, I think, you know, anybody who's running for office, I mean, you hope that they have a vision, right? Like, I think that there's some people that I can look around our building and I can feel really good about who they are as people. I may disagree with their conclusion or where they're, or not maybe their conclusion, but the, the method that they want to get to where they're going, but they have a vision, right, about how to make Oregon a better place. Um, certainly in third grade, I didn't have a vision to keep our classroom safe and, you know, the, the other girl won and kicked my butt um you know and i cried it was well, it was a rough race i cried those are emotional times yeah it was it was that was worse than anything else because you're you're the people around you reject you right that was painful did you so. did you do any leadership in high school so i did okay um i don't know if you remember when i ran at all so i ran um i think it was my sophomore year to be the asb envoy um, and I ran ag- uh, against an individual, um, and you know, it, of course, in high school, it's all about you know your speech. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went up there, and it made my. I think the the line that people still remember, like even as you go to like a reunion, was I said something to the effect of, "If you're looking for someone who finds the glass is half empty, don't vote for Dan Rayfield. But if you're looking for somebody who finds the glass is half full, still don't vote for Dan Rayfield. If you're looking for somebody who just picks the glass up and drinks it." Now, at the time, <laughs> then vote for Dan Rayfield. But I said, if you're looking for someone who picks up the damn glass, I threw in the D word, as my son likes to say. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in that, I think... 22 the, years ago, that would have played well. Yeah, I think the willingness for me to buck the trend, right, and say damn in front of the student body. Um, yeah. It was that very same student body assembly. I was running for ASB president and lost... And I gave a very professional speech. I had been in leadership for three years, been class president. I, I laid out an actual plan of what I thought we could accomplish and what we wanted to do to move forward as a student body to better interact with the staff and the community and the school board. And then uh, the young lady running against me stood up and said, we're going to take back the school and we're going to dominate the world. And did it with such passion and enthusiasm, I thought, oh, I'm toast. <laughs> so I did. I lost. So- so, so if we if we ran political campaigns, let me ask you a question. So yeah. we ran political campaigns on that same philosophy, right? So, let's say someone running for president comes out there just joking around, you know, yeah. um, with uh, just trying to be funny and and have the popular like you know funny speech, like "Hey, teehee," um, and then you had the person with like a real platform. What do you think happens on the national level? You know, I think in today's day and age, you vote for the person you want to have a beer with. Right. I mean, that, it's there's a lot of science behind this, and the people that uh, feel like they can relate to that personality, that they want to hang out and have a barbecue, uh, have a tendency to get the vote. Yeah, I I would tend to like that. That's kind of uh, the people that I think when in like in life you're most attracted to is the people you want to be around. Like, that's I, why it's so shocking. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, likability. No, no, actually, it, I think there are many people in this building, and I would say that you rank highly among one of the most likable individuals oh, in this fun. building. Thank you, so, that's and very I say kind. that genuinely. Yeah. So, um, um, so pivot to this though. All right. So you were I'm pivoting basketball man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, high school, college, law school, law practice. When did this representing at the legislature become uh, an idea, concept? How did you go about it? So it would have been in about 2009. I was actually uh, had been up in the legislature as an attorney where I had had some clients that had some issues that where the law was insufficient. And so I actually worked with Andy Olson 
um, and some other folks to change a law, you know, a law that passed unanimously in both chambers. Um, and that was like my first experience testifying um, and being in the legislature, which was a very, uh, it was a very inspiring, you know, thing to be able to come up here and, and do that, right? Uh, and so I had talked with uh, my state representative at the time, and I had talked with folks about a lot of these different issues. And um, I think people saw me in the community and involved. And uh, it was in 2010 that I decided to run for the state Senate. Uh, and there was, it, it was supposed to be going to be a contested race uh, at the time. And it, it was, I mean, there was uh, quite a bit of money at the time spent. Um, and it was in that January 2nd of that year, I knocked on, I mean, the true knocking, a lot of people yeah. say they knock on doors, but I, you know, I have a, like a tracker where we knocked on more than, ni- uh, I was thinking it was ni- more than 9,400 doors personally. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we lost the race. Um, and I cried again. Um, yeah. you know, like that, that was, uh, that was brutal. Uh, I, but I have to tell you, I, I think it's just one of those things for folks that like going through this. There was so much community support, so much energy placed into that race, that that race and that loss was more meaningful on a human level than the one I won in 2014 as a state representative. Like there was, it was a very humbling and meaningful experience, a lot of learning, a lot of personal growth, um, you know, through that campaign cycle from, yeah. But pretty fantastic though, to be elected for the first time in 2014 and in 2019, find yourself as a co-chair of Ways and Means. You know, I I will say that I came into the legislature at a unique time where we had people leaving our ways and means process. People had been there quite a while. Uh, We had our, and right after that, uh, that long session, we had people leave our leadership team and there was a, a little bit of a vacuum and I think in, in the ways and means, we've just had a vacuum to some degree. Yeah. And so I, I would, you know, frankly attribute a lot of my success to like uh, in this process to just being in the right place at the right time. And there's like some, some circumstances and then making sure I don't screw up. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, and because you know, the and, and the speaker has given me a tr- tremendous amount of opportunity, which has allowed me to then work really hard to not screw it up. Right. And, and I think it's yeah. when you have the opportunity and you have a gavel or you're in a place, you get seen more. Right. And it kind of snowballs. And I, I think there's a lot of people in this building that could do the exact same stuff. You know, they may have just come in at a different time, right? Or um, for, for whatever reason, you know, it just, you know, they're like on the Republican side, there are some really capable people that could easily do these roles phenomenally, right? But it's just not the right time. You know, if the Republicans control, it's just a different, right. yeah, for what it's worth. And it's one of those things, as I talk to people back home, so many people want to know about the job. What do you do? How do you do it? What if I wanted to get involved with this someday? And that's probably the number one answer I give. We got to be in the right place at the right time. You've got to be the right uh, political philosophy or ideology that matches the district that you live in. Like I could move to North Portland, and I, I, I really wouldn't stand a chance. I mean, the, the thoughts I have now, granted, I firmly believe in representing the people that you represent. So if I got elected, I would probably try to accommodate the will of the people more than I would try and impose my own personal beliefs. But um, isn't that the most um, I think fascinating political decision or um, quandary is that you represent a, a, a community and you have your individual personal beliefs, right? Yeah. And we deal with such complex issues that 
you know, you, you might feel like, here's my personal beliefs, or if I could explain this to all of the 60,000 people in my district, I think they would all believe that. But from a top line, right. they may not agree with it. So what do you do? Do you conform to an upset district based on a top line? Or do you go from the values-based thing where if, you know, if I get an opportunity to talk to all these people, which you never will, right? Right? Is that, and you think that's the right thing to do for Oregon, what do you do? I, it's just an interesting political quandary that I haven't settled. Well, and especially if you feel like you've got information that they don't have. Right. Right? If you think, gosh, the people back home are sending these emails, but they don't understand this element, if they understood, if I can go back and explain it to them, I think they would conform to this thought process. I, yeah. You're just going to get beat up. Right. Right. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a interesting dilemma. So I'm curious. So, you know, I don't pay attention to everybody's uh, bills as they come through. I don't necessarily track who's into what, but I have noticed since I've been in the short session, this long session. Now I've seen two times where you brought forward um, campaign finance reform bills. Uh, and it's just fresh in my mind because we talked about them today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I've always been curious about this, I, I, I have felt, and I've talked with Dylan, my staff about this, that you know, campaign finance reform is much like a sausage tube. And mm-hmm. if you squeeze on it one way, you know, people are going to find a way around that rule. They're going to create new ways to fund and get the money where they want it to be. And I've teased because I feel like my mom that lives in Newburgh, who, you know, mom and dad wrote me a $100 check. They're $50 right. you know, that they get to give tax-free through the state of Oregon. And I thought, well, wait a second. Should my parents be allowed to write me that check, being that they don't live in my district? Like, I get really into this, mm-hmm. and I start to think about, like, shouldn't they only have to vote for or pay for uh, the person that they're voting for or support that person? But how do you control that? If you made that rule, I would imagine a few people would get P.O. boxes somewhere else and, and then funnel through as that being an official ad. You know, there's going to be some way that they're going to find around it. How do you confront that as you're going through this process of trying to create an environment where people are on an equal playing field? So... It's interesting, right? Because I think the biggest loophole in any system and what pre- and why we get into these goofy things, um, you know, like you talk about the sausage tube, is because our United States Constitution doesn't allow us to cap independent expenditures, right? right? And the, our Constitution doesn't, you know, as we heard Representative Post really passionately speak about expenditure limitation as opposed to contribution limitation. Um, and, he, you know, unfortunately, the, the U.S. Constitution doesn't allow us to do that. Um, and so you've got all of these different mechanisms out there that have merit if there's, you know, if your goal is to get to limiting money in politics, right, which there are some, um, Kyle Markley, um, a libertarian candidate, speaks eloquently um, on why we should not have limits in campaigns. And yeah. it's very compelling. I think the influence of money in politics is something that is real. Um, and so I, I think that it does have a compelling state or national interest to do that. But then you get into the thing is people always, if I've got a million dollars, I, I'm just going, oh, shoot, there's a $2,800 limit. I'm, you're not going to sit the race out. You're right. going to find a way to influence that race because there's, you know, there's something there. And which begs the question is like, why do people want to spend a million dollars in a race? Yeah. It's bizarre, yeah. right? Like, um, you know, it's it's an interesting world in this. And so I, you know, whether there is a direct nexus uh, to influence of money, which I believe there is, some people disagree with me and, and I, you know, and that's, that's fine. Um, there's certainly a public appearance 
in this state that people believe that their politicians are bought and paid for, right? right? And and it's they never think their own politician is bought and paid for, right? When you meet them, but they, but they really feel that. And so it's like, how do you address those things? You know, and we talked a lot about that in our bills um, and trying to hit that. And it's and I, I made that um, that story on the floor because you do your best, right? But then it's I don't think you can ever stop. Like you have to sit there, get a system in place, observe. Note a problem. Now yeah. You got to go fix it, tamp it down. But it's, it's like, oh, you know, whack them all. Boom, pops up over here, right? Yeah. And you have to keep working on it. If that is a collective goal that we all share, right? Um, and then you have to do it in a fair and balanced way, which is in a political environment. Holy moly! Like, how do, how does everybody looks at this wondering like? does this hurt me or benefit me? Right. Like that's the first question out of like in a political environment. And that's rough. Yeah. Um, so I will say this, I, I'll be curious to see, you know, having no voting record really going into this last campaign season to see who wanted to support me. And, uh, you know, I had a very small, uh, I did have a track record because of the short session, but mm-hmm. you know, I didn't hit a lot of the quantifiable measurements that people would have if I scored well on their particular uh, voting card as to whether or not they would want to continue to support me. So it'll be interesting now that I have a voting record to see who wants to continue to support me. Because I I will say, for those to give some peace of mind to the folks back home, is nobody that's given me any money has influenced my vote. Like, I don't don't care if you gave me money. I'm a policy guy, and I want the right policy to move Mm -hmm. forward. So if you gave me money last time and I took a vote you didn't like, you may not give me money this time, but I'll go find somebody else to give me money because I made somebody else happy with that vote. So uh, So, so let me pose some hypotheticals for you because I want to – if you don't mind. Not at all. Like a push the envelope a little bit. And we can always have Dylan just edit out whatever I don't want. (laughs) 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 Okay. No, no, yeah, because I want to make it, you know, like – because I, I've thought about these things, and so I've done this, and I did this in a talent hall one time with yeah. two other elected officials, and it was awkward. Um, so, because I didn't warn them, like at least I'm prepping you, like for 15 a little seconds, bit. Yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah, let me put my um, thinking hat on. But because, uh, and I, I've in, tried to internalize this, right? So you've got, uh, you're sitting, um, you get a phone call, right? It's during, and, 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 and during an election time. Let's just talk about it hypothetically. Uh, you get a phone call. Um, there's somebody you have in your campaign, you're running in a contested campaign, a luxury, um, that you and I have as we don't. Right. Um, but you're running in a, a really contested heated race, right? You have, you know, so many weeks to raise so much money to communicate your message via mail, um, pay for your staff, get on TV. Yeah. Right. Um, you have a list. Okay. One list is a list of donors that you know have the capability to give $10,000. The other list is a list of donors that can only give $50. You've got a full-time job. Yeah. You got a family and you've budgeted into your schedule it's like I can only call for 12 hours during this next 2 weeks to help have help people get me elected. Yeah. Who do you call? You, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. it's an inter- that's a rough rough thing to internalize into our system right now, right? And and so then those people with the $10,000, those donors, right, you have a personal relationship with those people because you've met them. Right. Now the question is, now I'll take it one step further. You've got a $50 donor versus a $10,000 donor. Do you go spend a lunch with the $10,000 donor 
Yeah. Would you spend that same lunch to invest in that time with the $50 donor, or do you just place a call? So I right? will say, one of the benefits of being in yeah. the minority and the super minority yeah. is no one necessarily wants to have lunch with me. <laughs> and so the people back home that I want do. to have coffee... I'm always there. When people I call know. and say, hey, can you meet me for coffee at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon? They're always shocked when I say, sure. Uh, and then we sit and talk for an hour, and they're like, gosh, yeah. I thought you would only give me 10 minutes. It's like, well, no one really needs to talk to me. No one needs my vote for things. So the people down in Salem, and, and i got to be honest with you, like, I look at what you're doing, and albeit I would love to have the fun time that you must have with Elizabeth Steiner Hayward and Betsy Johnson, because those two senators are awesome. Uh, but the... Time that you guys have to put in, uh, you don't have time to accommodate the fifty and the ten thousand dollar request. Let alone probably even a couple requests from. Home. I mean, that's the part you have a uh, family, yeah, and that's got to be a burden uh, with this job to try and set aside time and make family a priority. And uh, so I, I can't even imagine how you would approach that versus me, because in fairness, my time constraints are quite different than yours. I, I have internalized a lot of these conversations because I think there's inherent incentives like within the system that we have built. And I think you have to change the system to shift the incentives, right? And I don't fault human beings for being human beings and trying to forward their values by getting elected to office because they are from, a, I believe everybody here is for the values-based reason. We I've internalized it so much that one of our main values in our office, we have like the goals that we want to be. And one of the number one things that we want to be as an office is accessible. Yeah. Um, and that is something that as Tony's like stressed out as we say that, um, it makes Tony's job extremely difficult. Sierra's in our office extremely difficult. Um, you know, and it's, you know, whether it's, you know, having coffees or town halls or, you know, just talking to people wherever we are trying to be accessible, um, and take meetings. We've gone down to trying to do five minute meetings because there's such a high demand, but it's like, I want to be able to gather the information. I think people have trust in Tony that we communicate and he can be in it, you know, in that, um, and have be accessible, you know, vicariously as best we can. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to have that 10,000 or $50 problem. Like it's, we, you know, that vaccines bill yeah for, for everybody yeah. in this building holy moly my staff nearly threw me out of the building because it was like i said i want to respond to every single email yeah and i was like i want to meet and have and everybody must have a uh, a response and they have to be treated and, and it was it was um i i don't know tony how would you describe it a lot of work <laughs> a lot of work, but it was important because that was a, that was at the, that in moment in that point in time for those individuals, it was the most important thing going on for them, right? And it's like, how do you respect that um, in an eight-hour day? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So let's go Not to eight-hour days for us. Yeah, fair enough. How many? Not eight-hour days for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, that's that's got to be a challenge, especially with the family. Um, so let's talk about uh, Senator Steiner Hayward and Senator Johnson. Can you give us any window in to behind the scenes shenanigans, uh, fun, hard work? Tell us about it to the extent that you can, because those yeah. two women are phenomenal. So, is it considered gossip when we're doing it on a podcast? I well, I mean, don't say anything that you don't want them to hear, because I'm sure that Senator Johnson on her ride home is listening. Uh, <laughs> You know, I have to say, I had a pre-existing working relationship with uh, uh, Steiner Hayward, and that was something that um, we had developed, you know, uh, for 
the, the last two years. And so that was, um, that, that was established. I didn't uh, know Betsy Johnson as well. We had encountered being on full ways and means. And, um, but what I can say is that her personality and her sense of humor match mine, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And so we have, you know, kind of a, a dark sense of humor. Um, and so it, it is a, it actually can be a lot of fun, uh, you know, because I like to throw in teasing and jokes and um, things like that. And, and they put up with me uh, quite a bit, frankly. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of like a, what would be a wonderful, um, you know, the relationship has gotten so good. How good has it gotten? That was the, you know. Were we supposed to ask you? Yeah. You're How good to... has it gotten? <laughs> yeah, no, How good sorry. has it gotten? Is that... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's the now we... Yeah. Ha, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> um... How good is it? <laughs> yeah. the, um... So they have asked the polketicians oh to perform God. on the Senate floor next week. I refuse to play on the House floor because I could not stand <clears throat> the day-to-day ragging and embarrassment of playing in a polka band um, in the house. But for them, I acquiesced and said, the polka editions will be there, you know. So you've kind of skipped ahead to one of my favorite questions. I normally like to ask people, what is something that the listeners at home would be surprised to know about you? (laughs) And uh, I come up with my own answer through my own research. We do in-depth analysis. We get on uh, Wikipedia Facebook, we really do some deep dives before our guests ever come on board to try and guess what the answer would be. But I think maybe you might have already answered it. But let's go ahead and pose the question anyway. What what are the folks listening going to be shocked to know about Representative Rayfield? Hmm. There's a lot of things, Dan. Um, <laughs> where do we begin? You think yes. the politicians are the, like... We were on TV, Tony. The Starlight Parade, sir. We're famous, kind of. Um, so, so we, yeah, we we have. I'm in a polka band. I play the tuba. Uh, my wife is on drums. Uh, what? I know she has. To, she's taking drum lessons. Um, and polka beats are. You know, she's like expanding her horizons because to start out on polka beats is not like the worst thing in the world. It's like boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick, 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 repeat forever. Uh, she just had to learn to know when the songs ended. Like that was like the, the number one thing. Um, the my my father was right now. He's kind of a professional musician. He's retired, but he plays clarinet in our band. Um, and so it's just kind of we and we have this local group of folks, and we get together. And then we had this horrible idea to be in the Starlight Parade, and then we realized what a task that was. Uh, and so we did that this last weekend. Big float decorated. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, and are we wearing like twenty seven hundred the... lights? We didn't get real later hosen. Okay, we got uh, was it t shirt later hosen? Okay, okay, <laughs> t shirts from a distance. It kind of looked like we had it, um, and then some real cheap felt hats with some you know those uh, dyed bird feathers. You know, real traditional. Uh, it's like have... it's the typical American going to like Oktoberfest in Germany. Hey, I'm here. Perfect. Um, yeah, the. Um, so I do get curious. Uh, I was watching, you know, I, as I'm prone to do, because I'm fascinated by Ways and Means. So I was watching uh, Ways and Means last, uh, Friday before last, I guess it was two weeks ago. And your response to a conversation around a potential fee for 14, 15, 16-year-olds on a boat, I think it's 10 foot or longer, uh, led to a personal story 
that you used. And so I always get curious for legislators, like how much of this job is relying on that personal experience, life's experience, versus what you've taken a deep dive in to try and study to become an expert in in, in some you know policy topic here in the building. And so what's that balance for you? Ooh, um, you know, right now, my policy area, like I'm not involved as much in policy. It's, it's all budgets. And what I will tell you, there is just a tremendous amount of learning. But what I think is like one of the most valuable traits of a legislator is the willingness to listen and try and learn. And I may not be perfect at that, but I really try and learn because when I want to get into a room, I want to understand everything from all the nuances as best as you can, right? Um, and so for us in the budget world, it's like we sit there and we're dealing, you know, we came into this session, I had never co-chaired the ed sub before. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I need to learn how education, all the nuances of how that works this session. Right. Um, there were, uh, you know, and, and what that means is spending extra time. Whenever I, I would get appointed to a new subcommittee, I would go down to LFO and I would take the analysts and we would walk through every budget for at least an hour per budget. And like, and then you read the other, the former past budgets to understand what were the past issues, what are moving forward. And then I would always spend an hour of time with each agency. And it's like, what's your vision? What are your cost drivers? What are the issues going on for you? What are we going to hear? And then, tra- and so you start, and then then I think it's really important is then getting frontline experience, like getting out there and meeting the people who do the real work, right? Yeah. And then you've got this amalgamation of information and then hopefully suits you better. Um, but I tell you, I would say 90% of the stuff maybe coming in here uh, has been just like the, the work to learn, right? Yeah. Um, shoot, we, we had people educating me on cardboard pallets. Uh, what was that? three, four years ago, or right? I was like, who ever would even think about a cardboard pallet? Right? Well, who would have uh, known that uh, riding a pool toy down a river would have ever come in handy? <laughs> Which was in a, a unique experience. And, and for the, the folks listening, the story essentially was where fees on a, I think it was like a multi-chambered device or whatever it was. And uh, when I was younger, I failed to have a life preserver in my dual chambered device, which if you looked at the box, which I had to take into court later on, this little teaser, um, you know, it showed it in a pool. It's like in a pool. Why? And so the police officer or the sheriff gave me a ticket for not having a life preserver. Um, and so then I actually blew this thing up and went into the courtroom with the judge. And like, was like, this is here. Here's the box. I had to wear a life. And they just laughed at me um, and dismissed the ticket and told me to get out of there and get a life preserver, which I always did after that. And good side note, the actual life preserver, it can be a wonderful headrest. Um, you know, another little pro river floating tip right here. Yeah. But you would probably know that since you've got the Deschutes River in your district. I honestly think my favorite comment from that uh, presentation, you told your story, and I believe it was Senator Gerard that called out the birth of a lawyer. <laughs> That's pretty bring in, bring in your personal flotation device to the courtroom to challenge the judge and say, yeah. take this into consideration. I, I thought that was genius. Um, I don't mean to keep you longer than we need to. You've oh, been I'm very okay. generous with your time. Um, the other question I always throw out people because I, you know, I'm not very good at this. I'm still learning how to engage with people and be a good podcast host. Is is there anything I should have asked that I didn't? That that is the uh, the uh, the epitome of. Um... Was it r- reporter questions? That's the last thing they always ask you, <laughs> or they just awkwardly pause and wait for you to keep blabbing. Um, that's a, you know, I mean, you could have asked me what was my favorite Jungle Cruise joke. Ooh, um, 
What 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 other things? Um, my favorite part of your legislative oh, update, honestly, <laughs> has been watching your uh, son interact. And I think the first time he was a unicorn. Yep. And for the listeners that can't see, I have a pen on my forehead pointed out. And then as soon as you introduce him as a unicorn, the pen comes off his forehead. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I lost my my horn. Yeah. And the entertainment value that he brings. I have to be honest with you, Dan. I probably would have quit watching uh, Legislative Update oh, after yeah. a few minutes had it not been for your son entangled in the conversation. When you know why he was there. The, the reason um, is my wife uh, was working over the weekend. I was like, oh, we should do a legislative update. And so what we did is we, um, I just set the stuff up and I said, hey, let's sit down. Um, and you noticed throughout there was like multiple, I was doing these multiple take things. That was real. Um, that was, there were times where he stood up and he started like, um, oh, God, this is the funniest darn thing. Um, he, we were sitting there and I, I was just saying, it's okay. Just be yourself, be who you are. Right. It'll be totally cool. Um, and so at one point he stood up, uh, and he started playing the guitar and the strumming hand went below the waist, Dan. <laughs> and he goes, guitar and I'm a peeper. And I'm go- yeah, and I look at him and I'm going, I was, and I was like in a good take. No, no, it's fine. I was in, I was in a good take, Dan. Like I was like, I was in my head, you know, you're really doing good. And so you're congratulating yourself in your head. I was like, oh, this is sounding good. And I keep talking. And then he does that. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, and I look up at him and it's like, Adam. And he says, but you told me just to be me. (laughs) And I I was like, ah, he's got me. He got me. In your episode, How Democrats Win, (laughs) I will say there's a moment when you and Rep Meek uh, sing a duet Oh, yeah. And if you watch that one, Rep Meek might have wanted to edit a part of it out as well. <laughs> I, I showed him the video, um, you know, and I made sure everyone was okay with yeah, their parts. Uh, uh, take 1,052. That's right. Uh, yeah, it was good times with that. Um, and, and then Adam actually has a, his own per- family YouTube channel that will do like little family videos. Oh, and, no kidding. Yeah, and so that is something that um, we've given shout-outs to Carla Peluso. Uh, yeah, which is, she gave us the, like atomic fireballs, those really spicy things. Yeah, and yeah. Then we'll, so we tried to, like a spicy challenge between us. So fa- the family loves that stuff. And what I will say from like, I don't know, as, like, as a, a dad, it's fun. Like, I love pictures. I love the videos we can get on our phones. But there's nothing better than I fi- we figured this out like about a year and a half ago. is like to take a day and like merge all those clips together. And it really recreates the day in a video that lasts forever. And it takes you back into that moment and the feelings you were having. And, it's, and so for us, like, it was like, oh, if we could just get like four or five of those a year and just keep doing that over like his, you know, throughout his life that's something that like kind of uh, my wife and I have thought it was like it'd be really neat but it's a lot of work no but again yeah. like the thing I loved about him and what I love about uh, Senator Fagan's podcast is yeah. just people that do this job are your next door neighbor you know these are not uh, the fanciest of fancy people that are you know handpicked from the upper echelon of society. We're just everyday people. I'm a small business owner. You're an attorney. Uh, You happen to choose to do this. You still go home, make peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, Your son's a unicorn part of the time. And, uh, and yet you make the time, you make the choice and you're here doing the job. So if you're sitting at home wondering, can I be a legislator? The answer is yes. Uh, You know, 
time and place, absolutely, we already hit on is essential, but get involved. And there's more way to get involved than just being a legislator, right? Yeah, I, and, and I would argue, frankly, that the folks east side of the mountains, like yourself, the folks in really southern Oregon are the ones that sacrifice, like, their families, um, their businesses, everything to be here to do this. This is not done for profit. I, to be very frank with you, it's like if I was in eastern Oregon or southern Oregon, I probably wouldn't. I know I wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Um, you, The investment away from the time is just, it's challenging with a seven-year-old. I mean, thankfully, your children are, are, are older, you know, than, than where I'm at. But yeah. I think it would be... Um, that sacrifice is intense. It's real. I get to go home every night, right? It may yeah. be 45, 50 minute drive, but I get to go home and, you know, there's some nights you stay late and, you know, and, uh, but I see Adam, you know, and, and then he tells me, you know, what a horrible dad I am. I'm just kidding. He's, he's going to really, he's really, <laughs> he, he, he knows how to have fun. So, uh, but I did go to that. your caucus, a few members. And I said, who over here do I really need to tap on the shoulder? And I'll tell you, every single person said, you may not know this, but Rep Rayfield's hilarious. He is so funny. You needed to. I'm just telling you. Like I'm not trying to be silly about this. That was the feedback from multiple members. It it is there. I and I appreciate the flattery, and that's why I ran for office so I could get flattery. Um, Rep Gorsuch and I had a conversation about this today. Uh, he was in Rep Lively's office, and one of Rep Lively's staffers laughed so loud as Rep Lively and I were walking back from the lounge, which is a good hundred yards away. We heard his staffer Ryan laughing, and so we rushed back to find out what was so funny. And they said it was Gorsuch that said something. Oh, the representative said something really funny, and so I said, "Well, Rep Gorsuch, I've never known you to be very funny." You're a very serious man from the interaction we've had. Tell me what you said. And it was some sci-fi reference. It was, you know, way over my head. I I didn't get it. And I said, well, here's the challenge with trying to be funny is sometimes you swing and miss. (laughs) Some of us more often than others. I've got a staff that thankfully has told me you're not as funny as you think you are. So I don't joke around nearly as much as I want to because I've already been told where I stand. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's good staff. Um, That's the epitome of good staff. The best part is, it was during his interview. uh, It was before I even hired him. That that takes that takes a lot of um, gumption, as they say. Immediately into the circle of trust, though, we brought him right in the fold. You, you know, you. That's one thing I've had to train Tony Dan. Um, Is we don't have to get home, Tony. People need to know this, okay? The people, are ch- if they're still listening, <laughs> I probably lost them a while ago. But the, you know, the it's She's like Senator you know your hair. Yeah, I know. She's Sarah Johnson's waiting for more about herself. Where's the dirt? Um, it's coming, Senator Johnson. Just wait. Um, right when you get off, that's when the dirt comes. So, like the thing with Tony is, like we had to do is like if my hair's screwed up, you know, you got to let me know. If I got bad breath, you got to let me know. Like I need some help. Like my wife does that for me at home. I just compared uh, Tony to my wife. Capital wife. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> uh, although, yeah. In fact, staff do see us more than our our spouses at times. This time of year. Um, so, and so this has been an ongoing training issue that we have had in my office. Um, I return the favor. I don't know if he likes it when I return the favor, <laughs> but I'm trying to help. It's from a good place, Dan. Yeah. From a good place. When you got that giant green piece of uh, yeah cabbage in your teeth, you got to know. Yeah. I mean, I could probably tone it down a bit. You know, so that looks like crap. Um, you know, but I, you know, I could probably, you know, be a little more empathetic with it, but, you know, 
Well, it's you know, Johnson's rubbing me off. There's the gossip. As good a place as any to end our show. Thank you so much for coming by. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy, and I really do sincerely appreciate it. Oh, I, it was a lot of fun. Any, I would I would do this anytime. So I enjoy this. So he'll be back, folks. Uh, <laughs> maybe during the interim, maybe next session. But we'll get Rep. Rayfield back, and we'll keep talking Main Street politics here in Salem. And thank you, the listeners, for coming back by again. Main Street politics. Remember, if you need to get a hold of us here in the office, 503-986-1459, or our district office is 541-719-8745.